Charles didn't have just any coronary artery disease. He had Charles's coronary artery disease. Michelle didn't have just any heart attack. She had Michelle's heart attack. At VCU Health Poly Heart Center, we know every heart is unique. And as Virginia's only nationally ranked heart program, we'll keep them beating healthy and strong. VCU Health Poly Heart Center. Learn more at vcuhealth.org heart. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing, or WIM for short, is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing, advertising trends, and get real about women in business. Our mission is to network, to foster leaders within this exciting industry, and to share information to make our work stronger. That's where this podcast comes in. We'll bring you fresh perspectives on timely topics facing the industry from expert voices in the space. Find us wherever you download podcasts. And of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim, double I, dot com. Jen Glantz is the founder of the viral business Bridesmaid for Hire, the creator of the project Finally the Bride, the founder of the blog The Things I Learned From, the voice of the podcast You're Not Getting Any Younger, the founder of the coaching biz Jen and the Juice, and the author of the Amazon best-selling books All My Friends Are Engaged and Always a Bridesmaid for Hire, published by Simon & Schuster. She's told her stories on hundreds of press outlets around the world, including the Today Show, Good Morning America, CNN, NPR, and Fox News, where they called her job the weirdest of all time. She's worked on many stages as a speaker for conferences like South by Southwest for companies like ESPN, Google, HBO, and WeWork, and many universities as well. In 2016, she received the 30 Under 30 Award from our alma mater, the University of Central Florida Go Knights. <laughs> She's written over a thousand articles for places like NBC, Business Insider, Yahoo, Glamour Magazine, Forbes, The New York Times, and CNBC, just to name a few. And four fun facts that you should know about her. Apparently, she only eats pizza. Her birthday's on April Fool's Day. She has a dog named Goofy, and she went two years living in a new city every single month. She's been one of my favorite guests to have on the podcast because she is the epitome of an entrepreneur and a business boss. So welcome to the podcast, Jen. Jen, I am super excited to have you on today for so many reasons. Um, personally, it's really nice to see another fellow UCFer <laughs> um, and a Floridian and someone who is simultaneously living in Brooklyn. So I kind of feel weirdly like we're living parallel lives. Um, Jen, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Wow. Thank you so much for having me. I agree. I always get so pumped up to meet someone else from Florida and UCF and also living in Brooklyn. I feel like if you have all those th three things in common, we need to be best friends. We do. We do. Um, and so we get to hang out for the next 45 minutes, which is exciting. <laughs> I, I saw, I learned about your business on LinkedIn. Um, I don't know if I ever even actually shared that with you. Um, but that's how I learned about your business. And you're going to tell everybody a bit about what that business is in a second. Um, we heard a bit about it in the intro to this podcast. Um, but 
I am obsessed with so many things and let me just share that quickly. <laughs> um, I just think it's so cool when, first of all, female founded company, which is like already an incredible thing in my book. Um, but you really like created, you saw a, a problem, you, you saw that there was no solution for it. Um, it, it seemed like it, it took lots of people. I'm sure it was an outside of the box idea. <laughs> I'm sure you got people who are like, really, seriously, is this what you want to get into? And you did it anyway. And you've had this business now, you're going to tell us all about it. Six plus years, I think you've been in business. Tell everybody about your business, what it is, because um, they're about to be so impressed, just like I am. Go for it, Jen. <laughs> All right. So I'll take everyone back to the start, which was myself in my early twenties. And what happened was all of my friends were getting engaged and married. And I'm not even exaggerating. I was a sorority in college and everyone just sort of graduated and got married. And I became always the bridesmaid, which was fun at first, but then it became a little annoying and expensive. And then it got weird when two friends who I hardly spoke to anymore, these are the kind of friends that call you maybe once a year, maybe not two of those kind of friends on the same night asked me to be their bridesmaid. And it was weird. It was like, why are you asking me? And I had been a bridesmaid for my own friends probably about a dozen times. And I came home, I told my roommate, I was like, Carrie, why is everyone asking me to be a bridesmaid? And Carrie said, duh, you become a professional bridesmaid. And this light bulb went off in my head. And I thought to myself, well, if I could do this for my friends, why couldn't I do this for strangers? And that very night, I launched my business, which is now six years old, called Bridesmaid for Hire. That's so cool. Uh, the I, I, it's even just like the name. It's very. It's like exactly what it is. Um, it's I can just you know look. I'm a, a millennial woman. I have heard so many stories from people who have had these nightmare experiences as brides or as bridesmaids. I haven't been a bride yet, but I've been a bridesmaid many times. And like the amount of drama involved and the amount of stress involved, I feel like that's more common than not. Oh, <laughs> and absolutely. Right. And so talk to us a little bit about like um, even some of the 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 experiences that you've had um, or that your employees have had um, being in weddings and how grateful I'm sure people have been after they've hired uh, people from your company. Well, yeah, I mean, you're completely right. And no one talks about this, but the average person spends a close to $1,300 per wedding as a bridesmaid, which is insane. And I, in my early 20s, I had just moved to New York. I was working a very low paying job, but it was paying my bills just barely. And there I was having to shell out thousands of dollars for these weddings. I didn't have that money. I mean, it was very stressful. Plus when you're a bridesmaid, it feels like a part-time job. I mean, you're on call, your friend is texting you, calling you every weekend is something for somebody else's wedding. And it becomes a lot. And that's why the business sort of made sense to people. And there's two reasons people hire me. The first reason is because they have friends, but their friends are a bit of a mess or they don't want to let their friends do all of the drama and they want someone else to step in and do the dirty work. And the second reason people hire me is because they don't have close friends, which I know sounds sad, but one in five millennials do not have a close friend. And I can relate to that. I'm in my early thirties. A lot of my friends, we've gone different ways. So it's normal, but on the job, 
I have become that peacemaker, that person who walks into weddings and deals with the missing groom, the crying bride, the bridesmaid who's sabotaging the wedding, the person who lost their dress. You know, I'm the one that comes in and deals with these problems. So I think what no one tells you is that weddings are not the happiest day of people's lives. They're often the most chaotic and stressful. And you need that solid person you can trust on to be there to help you. And that's essentially what I am for people. I don't plan the wedding. I'm not the wedding planner. I'm the people person. I'm the one that saves the day. Cause let me tell you, the day always needs to be saved on a wedding day. I've been there on some wedding days that <laughs> absolutely need saving. Um, and I don't know, I was talking about this with someone when I was like, Oh my God, I'm so excited. Jen's going to be on the podcast. And I was like, just think about it. Like, all of the, like the weddings that I've like that people have attended and like the relationships that could have been saved if there was someone like hired to, to help be there. You know, you hire a wedding planner to your point, like why not a bridesmaid? But again, like it's an outside of the box idea because weddings are so traditional, right? There's so much tradition there. And you know, the idea of like thinking outside the box, I mean, People like even think about it right now, like everybody wears a white dress to a wedding. Like, I mean, if people can't even change the color of their dress, how are they even going to begin to think about changing the structure of their bridesmaids or the structure of the wedding? Um, So it's so cool to see you doing um, like publicity for your company and getting interviewed all over the place to sort of get the word out that like you can sort of be, you are this disruptor um, in this incredibly traditional industry. Talk to us a little bit about that. Like I'm sure there have been parts of your business that perhaps have struggled a little bit because your idea, your business idea is so outside of the box. So what has that been like? You know, what's interesting. And I say this very, very forwardly. I'm very honest about this is that I have always hated weddings. I was never the kind of person who grew up and was like, I love weddings. I never was that kid who planned a wedding. If my Barbies were playing, there was not a wedding situation. Like I just never loved weddings. And why I think I thought of this idea and I acted on this idea and I've been successful with this this idea is that sometimes the people who are so outside of an industry are the ones who disrupt it the best because they see things differently. And this is my advice to anybody out there who's thinking of starting a business is sometimes leave the world you're in, go to industries you don't know much about, spend time there, meet people, read about it, enter it, and you will see a problem that needs to be solved that nobody else saw. And when I started this business, so many people were like, oh my God, that's so like, I can't believe you thought of that. I've thought of that before. Yeah, but you didn't act on it. And this business is a lot scarier than it sounds. I mean, I'm literally getting off an airplane and going to a stranger's wedding. And there's a lot of fear that's involved in it. So I think one of the things about disrupting an industry is that I never cared about weddings. I still don't like weddings. I do this job to help people, not because I like weddings. But I think that that's what made me stand out, made me honest, and made me hireable. was that people who come to me, they're not looking for traditional they're coming to me because they are in desperate need of support that nobody in this billion dollar industry has a way of providing them and that they can't get in their own life. So I think that's something interesting to think about is like, Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, there's people who never believed in this business, but the people who hire me are the ones who have this need. So that's something that I, I am very proud of. You should be. I mean, that's so interesting. Even your approach to it is unique, right? It's like, really, it just sounds to me like you really, truly 
understand, uh, first of all, just yourself, (laughs) which is huge, right? You're like, I don't even like weddings. Um, I'm okay with that because here's the, the, what I offer and here's the value that I, that I have. Um, and the idea that like, you don't necessarily have to like weddings, but what you do have to like is being able to help people and the other parts of your job like the wedding itself is almost secondary um, because you come in I'm sure with like a very clear goal in mind um, which is like I just want to have this person have the most incredible day Um, and that could exist whether it's a wedding or a party you know or like a birthday party perhaps Um, have you guys expanded into other areas or have you thought of doing that actually It's so funny that you asked that because I just thought about this is that over the years we have worked other events other than weddings. I just never remember to talk about it. We've been hired in some cases to work birthday parties, which I find I used to I used to think that was a little bit odd. But now that I'm thinking of it, it made complete sense. So yes, we have worked other type of events other than just weddings. But mostly we do work weddings. And I want to keep it that way. I Sure. The only thing that I, I mean, not the only thing, but one of the things I think about is like, just one of your clients probably has the most incredible wedding and they are like, oh my God, I want to use the service again. And so hopefully they only have one wedding (laughs) and, but they could use you that again for like a birthday party or what have you. So I'm, I'm actually almost thinking of it as like repeat business, but actually that's a really interesting topic you know, as a business owner and wanting to scale your business, it's interesting how you focus on um, uh, an event type that for the most part, I don't know, maybe you'll educate me, you know, happens once in a lifetime. Increasingly, that's changed, of course, with divorce rates, etc. But of course, like, that's the majority. Um, And so, what does that look like in terms of scaling your business, right? And growing it, um, you're always essentially trying to capture new customers because it's hard to get repeat business there. So talk to us a little bit about that. Well, absolutely. And that was definitely a problem early on was the thought of, okay, well, you know, they can really only buy one thing from you. You can upsell them on that one thing. But truly, we've branched out to have multiple different audiences. So we have people getting married who hire us, whether it's the bride or the groom. We also have maids of honor who hire us for different packages for that. And we also have other services for other touch points in the wedding, whether it's a parent of the person getting married or a bridesmaid. So we've had to branch out. And, you know, another audience we've had, and this was a tough audience to figure out what to do with, is that over the past six years, we've had over 50,000 people apply to work for us. And there's no way I could ever hire all of them. But turning that into a customer segment was something that I was able to do. And I was able to do that by hiring some of them, but also creating a training program that they can take so that they can learn how to start their own business very similar to this one. And that's been pretty successful as well. So figuring out not how to drive more sales from the same person, but instead how to create multiple audiences, I think has allowed the business not only to scale, but then to have people switch different places with inside of the audiences, which has been cool. I mean, we've had people hire us that were a bride and now they're hiring us because they're now a maid of honor. So that's been really cool as well. But branching out to having multiple customer segments has been a great way to scale and switch up the business. 
That's so interesting. Well, that makes sense that they could then be a bridesmaid and then give the other friend who is the bride then the idea. Um, but they're like, I don't want to be that kind of bridesmaid. Why don't you hire the one who's going to like wipe your butt? Yes, <laughs> like, yes. you know, and like, you know, figuratively, of course, um, you know, That's to do I all think. the... <laughs> to do all the more difficult things. I just want to enjoy being a bridesmaid. Um, but so interesting also what you were saying about the people who are applying to work for you and then cap like capitalizing on that. Um, so talk to us a little bit more about the, it sounds like your business has a few different revenue streams. Um, and if there's anything I've learned in business, it's it, it, well, this is one interesting thing that I came to the realization of even just a few months ago. It's like, I always fancied myself as an entrepreneur because that's like the exciting buzzword. But actually, for a long time, I was a small business owner. An entrepreneur is really somebody who owns multiple businesses and has multiple revenue streams. That's technically the, the definition. Um, I want to be an entrepreneur. And it sounds like, you know, you are that um, in that you have multiple revenue streams. So talk about sort of the process of even how that came to be, I'm sure it, I can imagine it's difficult where, you know, you really want to focus on this, which is like the parent business, yeah. but then you have like an opportunity and you're like, I see that there might be something here as well. I want to maximize that. I don't want to lose focus from the, the original business. Like talk to us about that process. Yeah. And I think, you know, the first nine months of the business, it was bridesmaid for hire. It was being that person for the bride. And about nine months in, I started to realize like, this has to scale. This has to change. Like I'm going to burn out. So there has to be an exit plan or there has to be additional people working the business. And that's where I decided, okay, I'm not only going to service brides, but also other people in the wedding. And I'm also going to have this training program so that I can teach other people, which is what I've always loved to do, how to start something similar. So that helped me diversify the income within the company. But then aside from that, you know, Friday for hire was an incredible business to run, but I was also working full time. So I had that wiggle room of like, I don't really care what happens. And I have a full-time job. Well, nothing is ever safe in this world. And about a year and a half into running Friday for hire, I got laid off. My tech startup kind of went under and they laid off 40 people in a day. And I was the first person to be laid off. And I remember leaving the office. I was devastated because I prided myself on being able to work two different full-time jobs, Bridesmaid for Hire and this one. I thought that I was crushing the game. And when I got laid off, I remember I was just devastated. I walked out of the office building and I turned around and I said out loud in the streets of New York, I am never going to work for somebody again. And I realized at that moment that, look, it wasn't going to be easy. I had, I've paid my own bills since I was 18. You know, I support my family sometimes. Like I don't have a savings account of a lot of money. So I knew if I had to make this work that I was going to have to hustle and I was going to have to find multiple ways to almost foolproof my income. And that's when I realized like bridesmaid for hire can be my business, but I'm also going to have to have other things happening. And I tapped into freelance writing, which I had been doing on the side as well and built that as an income source, meaning writing for different magazines and websites and also writing wedding advice. And that was helpful to promote my business and to promote my books and sell books. That was another source of income and doing coaching. You know, as I became more successful in business, I started a coaching arm where I can now coach other people on how to start businesses or how to get unstuck in their life. And then I began teaching classes. So I have always found ways that I could generate income in multiple different, in different sections 
And never in my life has it become more of a blessing than in 2020 when the coronavirus not only paused the wedding industry, but paused a lot of things and everyone's income sort of wiggled around. And that's when I started to see, you know, thank God I have spent the time figuring out multiple streams of income because there's always going to be a point in your life where you might have to tap into one or hit one harder. And as an entrepreneur, you're taking on a ton of risk and financial risk has always been something I've been scared of. So it helps me sleep at night knowing that I have multiple different places that I am running and doing to make money. Well, I can imagine that there's no other time to like sleep a little bit more soundly than in 2020, knowing that that is what you've set up for yourself. Um, but you know, I don't even want to downplay it though. Like, you know, let's say 2025 <laughs> when everything is all coronavirus clear, you know, you're, you're, you have that to, to rest on. Um, and I think what's so extra brilliant about it is it all feeds into itself, right? It's not like you have five unrelated businesses, you've been able to explore, you know, other similar routes that all feed into each other. Um, and I'm sure like you're cross promoting and, you know, you're, you're utilizing basically one piece of content. You're talking about even freelance writing in 12 different ways. Um, and so to me, as someone who like geeks out over like organization and like logistical parts um, talk to us a little bit about like, even practically, like some of the tools that you use, like how do you as a business owner organize yourself? Are you good at that? Do you enjoy that part? What do you use? What do you do? Organization is my favorite word. I feel like, <laughs> you know what? I feel like it also helps me sleep at night. I feel like I need to stay organized or I would be all over the place and get nothing done. But I also know that myself personally, I'm a very simple person. And my organization honestly goes back to handwritten to-do lists. I have a notebook next to me with different pages, with different to-do lists, with days that I do certain things. And I'm holding this highlighter because it's my fun. Like crossing things off my to-do list is the only way that I motivate myself sometimes. But I use that. I also am like a huge fan of all things um, in Google. So I use Google Sheets. That's like my go-to. I have everything from my income, my different streams of income there mapped out. I have everything from like my customer management system there. Like I am not really the person who's going to use all these fancy tools and softwares. I like to keep things pretty basic and I use my to-do list. I use my Google sheets. I use my Google drive so I can share things with different people for social media. I use free tools like buffer to schedule posts. That's very, very helpful for me to do that. I also use free tools like Canva that I, so I can design cool things really fast. But from the most part, from an organization standpoint, honestly, I use my notebook. I'm a sticky note person. So all over my desk and my wall, sometimes there'll be sticky notes everywhere. And that's my go-to because I have found that when I use these complicated software or the, the software of the week, I don't actually use it. And then I start using it and I abandon it. And it's just a waste of time and money. So I like to keep it pretty simple. Like simple as a look, if it works for you, then it works for you. And, you know, I can totally appreciate the tactile, like process of crossing out something um, and how satisfying it can be. And so, you know, again, if it works for you, then great. Like Google has been successful because so many people needed those Google products. <laughs> 
And so, you know, Google Sheets is just a, another form of a lot of other tools out there. Um, we literally, literally send out Google Sheets all the time with Wim when we have like casting services, for example. Um, so that's awesome to hear that that's what works for you. Um, and so talk to us a little bit about, you know, we taught, we just like glazed over the coronavirus a little bit. I mean, I don't, can't even imagine. I We actually interviewed someone at the very start of coronavirus who uh, also worked in the wedding industry. Um, and I can't even, we shouldn't glaze over the fact, the impact that I'm sure coronavirus has had over the wedding industry. Um, but of course, that could translate into a number of different industries that have been upset uh, during this time. I'm sure people listening can relate. And I'd love to hear from you about like what that's been like, like the good, the bad, like, you know, what, what is this process of, you know, the last few months going through coronavirus look like to you and your business and how do you feel moving forward? Yeah. You know, it's been such a devastating time for all these industries. And sometimes I find myself like sitting there thinking about how many industries have been torn apart and put on pause. And it's, makes me really sad. And the wedding industry is an interesting one because yes, it completely hurts vendors, but it also hurt the individuals who put down a ton of money on a wedding that now is not going to happen. So it's like also a very tricky industry to be paused right now. But, you know, I remember early in March, a lot of people were emailing me that hired me like, Hey, Jen, you know, what are you thinking? Should we postpone? Like what's going on? You know, and it was just an intro conversation. But what's made it even crazier is that not only am I running a business in the wedding industry, but I myself am a bride and I was supposed to get married in October of 2020. So it has been interesting to also be my audience. And I think because I've been my audience, I feel like I might have been able to relate to people a little bit better and give more relevant advice. I think if I came at this from a business owner standpoint, I might be a little bit too hung up in the wrong things. You know, for example, a lot of people have had to just completely cancel their wedding or have just decided, you know what, we want our money back because we don't even know what we're doing. And hello, that's exactly what I have been feeling as well with my vendors. So I've refunded a ton of deposits that normally I would have been a little bit strict on, but I get it. I'm, I'm in the same position. So I think it's been helpful to be my audience during this time, but I do think it's a really rough time for the wedding industry because it's one of those industries that we don't really know when it will get back to normal. I mean, rules change like crazy in every single state, but in a way, I think it is going to mess up the traditions of the industry in a great way. And why I say that is because I can't speak about weddings without calling out the fact that they are ridiculously expensive. You know, the average person spends over $30,000 on one day of their life. And it doesn't have to be that way. So one of my hopes is that when people are starting to plan a 2020 or 2021 wedding with everything happening, is that they go back to the basics. They go back to the root of why they're doing it. And I think one of the hardest things is now to plan a wedding without the people because the people really do matter. But I also think that there are beautiful ways to still get married, but to do it with less money and also make it extra special. So it's an industry that I think is getting torn apart, I think for some in a good way, but I also think in a devastating way for others who just want to be surrounded by the people. And that's not something that necessarily is going to happen for quite some time. Yeah. And I think that it is, I mean, how, what a unique circumstance that you're in having, you know, also be go, like, you're just going through this personally as well yeah. as professionally. So 
while I feel like your customers are probably grateful for that, I can only imagine personally you just going through like, you know, two huge hits, you know, on your business and also just personally. Um, so I feel for you on that, um, even though I'm sure like, you know, I appreciate that you're trying to turn it into a positive and just say like, well, my customers, you know, it's probably helpful to them that they, they feel like we're in this together. Um, so that I can only imagine how tough that is. Um, I'd love to dig into a little bit more about, you know, 50,000 plus people um, that have applied to work for you. Um, how many people, you know, look, I, I'm sure that this, how many pre-COVID, let's not even say that, at the largest point <laughs> in your company's growth, um, how many people were working for you? And talk to us a little bit about your hiring practices. Yeah. So, you know, over the years, a lot of people have applied to work for us. They see the name of the business. They think it's glamorous and a ton of fun. So they apply. And what usually happens is based on the amount of weddings we have, based on the need, because some people will not only hire me, but they'll hire three or four other people. So I have to bring a team of people with me. So at any given point, I have about five to 15 people who are working weddings with me during the month. And usually what I like to do is I will go through the applications and I will sort them out based on who I think is qualified the most. That might be based on past job experience that they've had. And that job experience would be anything working with people, you know, people in the customer service field, people who have had experience working with different kinds of people always makes a good person for this job. But over the years, I've had to hire and fire people because again, what people don't understand is that your job looks like it's going to be a party, but it's anything but a party. And while you're in a party environment, it's a professional job. There's no drinking allowed. There's no complaining allowed. Like you have to really show up. And, you know, of course, the thing about weddings is it's a long day. It could be anywhere from eight to 12 hours. You're on your feet. You're running around. It's a bit exhausting. So I think that it is quite a hard job. And what I have found is that most people who are applying for it don't realize that. And they don't really want it when they know what it is. So when I go through my interviews, I often, one, try to figure out the behind the scenes of the person, what challenges they've had in situations in other jobs working with people, how they deal with high stress situations. I might even ask them a couple of scenarios and ask them how they would deal with it kind of thing. Then I always try to meet that person in person and get to know how they are socially, how they are in a social situation. So maybe we go out somewhere and we interact with other people. But what I have found is that it is a rare kind of person who can do this job. So the people who have worked for me have worked for me for a very long time. I can trust them and I know that they can show up. So I don't often hire new people. I am very grateful that I have the current people who are working for me, but I do find it really hard to find the right fit because it's an unusual type of job and there's no prerequisite for working in this kind of job. But I do find the people who have had any kind of customer service background or have had any kind of job where they're interacting with difficult people, it makes you good for this kind of job. Is it a plus to you if they've been like a maid of honor, like multiple times? I feel like that's like, there's no way that they could have listed like professional bridesmaid on their resume prior to working for you. Um, but like being like designated, like 
the best bridesmaid is like a maid of honor. Like, I don't know. I'm sure you've heard so many different stories. Yeah. You know, I think people reach out. They're like, I've been a bridesmaid 15 times. Well, it doesn't mean you've been a good bridesmaid. You know, like I, yeah. I have to say when I was a bridesmaid for my friends, half the time I wasn't a very good bridesmaid. So while it matters that maybe you have been in the wed- in a wedding before, there's people who worked for me who have never been a bridesmaid and they're excellent, you know? So I think it doesn't always necessarily mean they're going to be great. But I do think if you have some experience knowing what the dynamics of a wedding are, that could definitely help. Definitely. And how does it work? Like, does everyone, like, do you hire people in specific cities that tend to have weddings or do you always fly people out? Is that a premium price? Like, how do the brides decide on which bridesmaids are the right fit for them? Like, talk to us a little bit about the process of it. Yeah, for sure. So um, usually what happens is after I work with a client, they'll determine how many people they want to have at their wedding. And then based on me getting to know them, I will recommend, you know, the right people who I think personality wise would be good for their wedding. But it's rarely a choice process. One of the things I didn't want to make this was like a modeling agency. So before when we first launched, people would reach out and be like, Oh, I need three bridesmaids, all blonde, all blue eyes, all five, seven. And I would be like, no, that's not what we do. This isn't right for you. So it's less of a choice and more of a, look, you hired me to work your wedding and you are trusting me to bring the right people. So I will bring you the three right people that I feel based on you and your personality will work. So it's more of that trust process. It's, it's not more of the, I want to request a, this person and a, this person, because that's absolutely not what I ever wanted to do with this business. So that's, that's usually how it works. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so that's really interesting because I can imagine it being like that, whether it's like incredibly superficial, like you're describing, or if it's just like, you know, oh, I, I really would love like, you know, somebody who's going to make me feel this on my day. You know, that's such a key thing. We talk about this in the group a lot. It's like when you're hiring an expert, like you as the expert need to push that and just say like, that's what you hired me for. So while I'm going to absolutely listen to what your needs are, and I'm going to take all of that into consideration, my recommendation is going to be based half on that. And also on my experience and the fact that I'm an expert in this. And so talk to us a little bit about that process, because you are the expert you've like, for all intents and purposes, have like cast <laughs> numerous weddings. And so like, how do you make the right fit? You know, I think it's about knowing the person, knowing what they're looking for, knowing the problems that are going to happen, pulling from past experience of, you know, the thing that's very interesting is when most of the people I work with, they've never had a wedding before, whereas I have been to hundreds of weddings. So while they think they know what their problems are, oftentimes I can sort of hear things they're saying, but they don't realize our problems and using all that data, that information, it allows me to pull the best fit. But you know, one thing I want to mention, especially to entrepreneurs and business owners out there is that when you're first starting, one of the hardest things to do is to turn down business, but it's one of the best things you can do because as a business owner, some of the mistakes that you want to avoid are taking on clients. You knew were never a good fit, but you took them on anyway. And now it is costing you way more time, way more money. And you're just angry. You're frustrated. And it wasn't worth the money in the, in the first place. So I always advise people, you know, if you're going to start a business, learn how to know who you want to work with and who you will say no to, and maybe refer to other people, you know, not in my business, but maybe other people out there. If you're getting people to come to you that are not the right fit and you know that refer them to somebody else and maybe have like a referral deal with them, you know, but 
I think learning how to say no as a business owner is something you got to learn really fast. Yeah, uh, that's brilliant. And I we've talked about this a bit too, to piggyback off of that is like, I think that, you know, as women in general, sometimes we struggle to say no, but absolutely when, when you are getting started in your business, like that's the first point when you're like, I mean, how could I turn down business? I'm trying to grow a business. But then even later on, let's not even pretend it's a startup problem. Later on in your business, you know, you're always looking, it's, it's, you know, you're looking to make money and it's a scary uh, thing to contemplate, which is turning down business. I love the idea of referring business though, and sort of creating, you know, some sort of additional revenue stream, like we we're talking about before, and just like saying, you know, look, like, let me help you help me. I just being having the self awareness to know what works for you personally, what works for your business, knowing that like your instincts are usually correct. <laughs> when you feel that this person is not going to be a good fit or a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, you're saying it's, it's either wasting my time or my money, but knowing that like time is money. Um, and imagine all of the other things that you could be doing to scale your business or just like better your business in some way. If you weren't stuck dealing with this terrible customer. Um, so, you know, look, like, do you feel like you were always good at doing that and like recognizing that, you know, it's, it's important and beneficial sometimes to say no, or have you sort of just learned that like throughout the years? Yeah. I mean, there's some areas of my life where I am so scared to say no. Um, but I think especially with this business, one of the things that I found when I started was because it was so unusual and there were so many people out there who wanted to see it fail, who called it like stupid and crazy. And they called me a loser and embarrassing and they wanted it to fail. And by the way, I don't know if these same people would have said that to a male starting a business. You know, a lot of the negativity I got for starting this business, which is a business that essentially supports other women was feedback mostly from males. I found myself on LinkedIn the other day getting into it with a, with a guy who commented on my post about how stupid this was, yet they know nothing about weddings. You know, I think a lot of what I faced was like, would people be saying this to a male? And that was something that drove me to protect this business as much as I could. And when you protect something, you have to set boundaries. So it was easy for me early on to turn down business that I knew did not fit the core of what I wanted. But and other areas of my life, it's nearly impossible for me to say no. And that's something that I've had to really work on. So I find with my business, it's easier for me to have boundaries, but for my own personal self and personal brand, it's a lot harder. And I think the struggle I face there is that I never want to miss an opportunity or I just don't want to let a person down. And those are areas that have gotten me in a lot of trouble in the sense that I've invested my time doing things that I should not be doing. I should have said no to. So I've had struggles with that, but from a business perspective, I felt like from the start that I had to protect this and I had to make this work. And to do that, I had to make sure that I had those boundaries. And isn't that, was isn't that interesting. I almost like equate that to like a mother and child, right? Like how quick we are to like protect our baby, but like, we don't necessarily take care of ourselves. Totally. And like your business is your baby. Your business is your child. And you know, if your business theoretically grows big enough, like you become the face and, and, you know, you, you're, you, you have your own brand. Um, and you know, you've like, you've released a book, you've been, you've done a lot of really high profile interviews and things like that. So, uh, 
you know, interesting how there is a distinction there. Um, and so, you know, talk to us a little bit about just like that. I mean, I'd love to, he- I'm sure people love to hear um, how you've sort of transitioned, like from having the company be the highlight uh, to, you know, having you be the face of it and promoting it in that way. Um, talk to us a little bit about like what you, some of the learnings there. Yeah. So, you know, I think what's unique about this business is that I was the face of it from the start. You know, I was the one that people could hire. And because of that, you know, you have to be okay with people getting into your life. And one of the things about my story is that since 2010, I have publicly shared pretty much every aspect of my life. I had a blog back then, and I have been very comfortable letting people into my life. So that has been something that has become not only part of the business, but part of the brand is saying, look, like you're going to get to know me as part of this, but it's not something I recommend for everyone. You know, like I had to really be okay with the fact that strangers would be following a lot of my personal life, which meant that the people in my life had to be okay with that, which is very hard, which meant that when I was having struggles in life, I had to be okay with figuring out a way of letting people in, but also closing them out. So it got very complex. But what I would say from my perspective and from a business perspective is no matter what kind of business you start, the more your audience understands the person behind it, the more they're going to feel attachment to the business. So I find that to be something that goes back to personal branding and how you represent yourself and how you put yourself out there. It is essential to be a business owner in 2020. Yeah, uh, 100%. Um, I think that, you know, it's interesting. I I feel like people, a lot of women probably aspire to get to that point, but it's also good to hear directly from someone who's achieved that, that like, it's not all glamorous mm-hmm. um, once you get there. And it's something that I'm sure you have to be like, really come, you have to grow to be comfortable with, or it's something that naturally, you know, comes very natural to you. Um, of course, I'm sure there are like lots of upsides that, you know, improves your business and, in, you know, grows your, your brand and your business. But there are some realities that I think people should know about that. So like, you know, what are some of the other realities that you could share, you know, like, even like writing a book or like, you know, going on a book, do you ever go on a book tour? Yeah. yeah. So like, talk to us about a, your, your book a little bit. I'd love to hear about that. And you know, just yeah. the process of it, some of the realities of it, things that you maybe didn't know beforehand and learned along the way. Yeah, totally. You know, I've been a nonfiction writer my whole life. That's been really my everything. And I've written three books and each book has sort of been the book that described my life at that moment. So in 2013, I released my first book, All My Friends Are Engaged, which was a series of nonfiction short stories about how my life was moving in the opposite direction of all my friends getting married and about all my crazy dates. My mom, she ran my J-Date account for me for many years. So crazy, crazy dating stories in that book. And my second book, Always a Bridesmaid for Hire, unveiled what it was like to be this bridesmaid for hire. It takes you through the weddings and how I started it. And it opens you up to my dating life back then, which was horrible while I was also spending every weekend with people who were having a great dating life because they were getting married. And then my third book, Finally the Bride, is the adventures of me being actually somebody getting married now and how I met my fiance and that whole adventure. And the common thread throughout all these books is it shows you my real life or at least part of my real life. And a big struggle that I've had as a nonfiction writer, going on these book tours all over the country, meeting all these people who have read every book, they think they know you. 
And it's a little bit odd because they know you in the book, which is you, but there's also like the me that's here 24 seven that nobody really knows. So you meet all these people who feel like they know you feel like they have access to you and a, it can be exhausting, but two, it can be intimidating. You know, I used to feel so intimidated to meet people in real life who had read my, my work because I didn't know who they think I was and I didn't want to let them down. And it's still something I feel like I suffer with. Like people email me all the time. Like, oh my God, I read your book. I'd love to meet you for coffee. And I'm like, no, I don't want to meet you for coffee because I'm so scared you're going to meet me and then be so disappointed. Or I just feel like, I don't know, it's like this weird thing. And I've had to really get over that because, you know, you go on these book tours, people are so thrilled to meet you, but it's also really intimidating because you're not sure if they're going to like you. That's so interesting. And I'm sure that people experience that, whether they've written a book or they're like a social media personality, but like essentially, yeah, you put a portion of you out there. Um, And, you know, we're human beings, so we're multifaceted. And, you know, look, it's very rare that people want to highlight the shitty times (laughs) and the most difficult times of our life. And so what gets put out there is, you know, either the glamorous or the the polished shitty times. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, uh, and yeah, that could be intimidating, but it's interesting. I'm sure having gone through that process and, um, it sounds like you've come to terms with that, uh, more, um, which is good because I hope that you write more books. Um, yeah, I hope that you do. Um, and so we ask this question of everybody on the podcast. I'm really excited to ask you as well. What what do you wish someone had told your younger self that would have given you a professional or a personal advantage today? Oh, I think I wish they would have told me that everything will work out. It just won't look like you thought it would today. I found that, and I find even now that some of the like the lowest moments that I have with myself are when things aren't looking like I wish they were, but it doesn't mean I'm not going after what I want. It just means that I'm going after it in a different way that I never could have planned. I was telling you earlier, you know, I studied poetry in college. And when I graduated for the first time, I thought, what the heck am I supposed to do with this major? But what I didn't realize was that the next couple of years, the series of weird jobs I had, which did not relate to poetry, all led me to where I was supposed to be. It just led me in a really twisted direction. And the cool part, though, about that twisted direction was that the weird jobs I had all gave me a skill set that I ended up needing to have to run this business. And without those weird jobs, I honestly do not think I would be where I am today. So I wish that someone also told me that if you don't know what to do, literally do anything because you will learn something from that anything that will completely revolutionize what you end up doing. And that just keeps propelling you forward. Like inaction is what keeps you stagnant. It's like just doing something keeps you moving forward. Um, And it's hard, like you mentioned, to like predict where you'll end up per se. Um, But along the way, you're creating this like incredibly unique to you skill set that will inevitably give you the tools to be able to be successful at what you decide on, whether it's poetry or bridesmaids for hire. (laughs) Um, So, you know, Jen, you've been such an incredible guest. I am so excited for everybody to hear and learn about you. Like check out her books. We're going to link all this stuff in the show notes of the podcast. She has her own podcast 
podcast, this incredible business. Like I really want people to get in touch, um, follow you. What's the best way if people want to touch base with you and, and like learn a bit more, what's the best way for everyone to get in touch or follow you? Sure. I would love to meet all of you. My website is jenglance.com. You can find me on the socials at at jenglance. My podcast is You're Not Getting Any Younger. And my newest book is really awesome. It's called Finally the Bride. And I release it chapter by chapter. So you get a chapter a month. So head to finallythebride.com. You can also vote on my wedding, which is also funny, on finallythebride.com. So that's where you can find me and stay in my life. So good. I'm so happy that we had you on today, Jen. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was so much fun. Yay. Thank you everyone so much for listening. If you liked what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We love comments. So comment on this podcast and we may shout you out on our next episode. Join us next time and thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week. Tune in next week. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week I have a discussion about the key political and cultural issues of our day, joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for a conversation that transcends political boundaries. So join me each week as we work through real solutions, have honest conversation, and just keep it fresh. Listen to the Michael Steele Podcast in the Spreaker Podcast Player app, where you can also comment on individual episodes. New episodes available every week on the Spreaker Podcast Player app.